You're listening to the All In Podcast with your hosts, Shane and Blake, giving you a new perspective on the dental industry. Are you ready to go all in? Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Welcome to the All In Podcast, the podcast that brings you a new perspective on the dental industry. I am Shane McElroy, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Blake McClellan. How are you, Blake? What's happening? I'm doing well. Uh, and uh, good to be here. Actually, it's been uh, feels like it's been a little while. It's been like a week and a half, I think, since we recorded. I missed you so much, man. I Come really back did. to me. You said you're doing good, but earlier this week, you weren't sounding quite as chipper. Yeah, you know, it's 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 um, it's exhausting. The the entire I think everything's exhausting. We do when you're in this your age and you've got family and everything else. Especially, it was exhausting, but. Sometimes the burnout's real. It definitely hit me this weekend after AAID and getting home from Vegas, which Vegas ones are always a drag. It, the burnout was real this week for sure. So what were you doing at AAID? You know, last minute uh, we decided for the Implant Compare team to, to go out to the AAID meeting because, you know, there's been a lot of talk that like of the implant meetings, that's the best one left really because you know a lot of them have gone down and stuff so went to go check it out we had a booth and it was cool i went to see a bunch of friends too because like that one's a good meetup spot for all so i got to see bart silverman and the stanleys and uh, a bunch of my buddies there at uh, the neodent team and and uh, brock from zircon's on and then i mean really it was like a it was like a get back together with everybody so it was really cool so yeah it was a lot of fun and you were at an implant course this weekend too right you were at uh what pay raise yeah i was at his all in x course in nashville it was a really good time we had a blast uh they did a really good job royal periodontics if you follow instagram he was the other guy teaching uh, he's a perio pros i think even pedo cross trained and dr bosma and he man i'd never i'd I never met him before and never heard him lecture, but talk about knowing the literature. Like that guy is a textbook. It is awesome. And had some killer slides. And of course, uh, seeing my good buddy, Pay Ray, he was uh, bouncing off the walls as usual. Actually, not really. I say that, but he was like keeping it steady with the lecture. He did a really good job and, and we had a blast. And it was really kind of cool too, because I expected it just to be a bunch of GPs, which is fine, right? But it was a nice mix. There was an oral surgeon there. There was a few periodontists, some prosthodontists there. So it was a really cool mix of people and had a blast, man. Really, really, they did a great job. So, but man, I tell you what, dude, I got out there. I was, I've been kind of sick last week and you may hear it in my voice being on the road like that. Like I flew out there and then I drove back with uh, my buddy, Dr. Ash and, and just, man, I just feel like I can't quite get healthy. And I know you must go through that too, just flying as much as you do. Does that ever happen to you where you just... Feel like you're not ever quite 100 percent healthy, dude. I have an ha- a hack for all the travel because, like, I had to. I- I'm on steroids all the time because my allergies and asthma and everything, so I have like no immunity. But um, I-, I found this uh, supplement at some trade show. It was like a holistic dental conference or something. It was a very unique one, man. Must have been but- one of the draconia meetings. So, so. <laughs> there was like a there was like a no Wi-Fi, you know, because they went Wi-Fi poisoning. It was a it was a different one. Not even lying about that. That is not an exaggeration. So, anyways, I found this like vitamin C supplement from this company, and it's like this little packet. And I, I remember giving you, I've given you guys some too. Uh, I use that thing all the time. It's like emergencies, but it's a, it's a, it's a liquefied version. And man, that stuff is my hack. Every time before I get on a plane, I take that stuff, 
And, and that's the only thing that keeps me going because it's tough. When you're sick on the road, there's nothing worse. I, I, I've been sick at Amos Implant in Chicago midwinter, right in the middle of December. It's raining and snowing. And there's nothing worse than that, being trapped and sick in that environment. No, for sure. Yeah, that goo stuff he gave me. Uh, yeah. That actually helps some. I got to remember to take that again because my kids, they have to mix it with stuff. My wife just looks at me like I'm out of my mind when I just just suck it all down at the same time. And it is, it's kind of gross, but. I'd rather than- eat a whole ketchup packet. I'll put it like that. Then than eat one of those packets straight up. I always got to mix it. Oh, it's terrible. It's way worse than a ketchup packet. But you gotta you gotta stay up, man. And like when you're on the go, you can't quit. I mean, that's the part about when you're all in like that. You've built a system that's dependent on you, whether it's family, uh, business, or whatever, or a clinic. You just can't quit. You gotta find something that keeps your immunity up. I, I mean, my cabinet looks like Lance Armstrong's cabinet, man. I got enough supplements to support a GNC in there. Like I eat all kinds of like vitamins and stuff for uh, to stay healthy. Those meetings, it's like you just completely ruled out when we, I don't drink that much anymore. I'm pretty old and boring now, but, uh, when I'm at one of those meetings, I pound because it's just kind of the environment for better or worse. It's fun, but it's just, it wears on your soul. A bit. You know what? It's just meetings. I mean, look, you'll have, I have like an average of four or five meetings a day and everyone's going to have a cocktail, you know, or, or a beer, you know, and even, and it just adds up, you know, and you're going from 8am. I think the first day of the exhibit hall is from 8am till 7.30pm. And yeah, it was nuts. But uh, anyways, I digress. We have a very important and awesome ho- uh, co-host again, I guess you would say tonight. And I'm really excited to talk to him because we've been chatting on Instagram. I knew people that knew him. He knew people that knew me. And we hadn't met yet until I think about a couple weeks ago. And then you met him last week, right? Last week, like the day before I went out to the day of actually, I flew out to payments course. Uh, he was coming in for a lecture for Strawman actually locally in my backyard and uh, was cool enough to, to come down and we had lunch and really hit it off. And, you know, I'm, I'm full arch nerd. We know that. And so we were just nerding out together. So I'm excited to do that. I'm going to let you bring him in. But um, before we get into that, I put a post on Instagram. We said, if you can guess the guest, we'll give you a shout out. And so uh, real quick, Trent Pierce guessed correctly. Uh, Nathan Marlowe guessed correctly, Thomas Monahan, Shane Treadway, our buddy over at Strawman um, on the north side of Atlanta. And the guy who got it first was uh, your buddy Adam Carraway out of South Carolina, man. What? what? Yeah, he's uh, he's actually part of the DIA team now. He's He joined up with us last year. So he's awesome. on the DIA team. I love Adam. That's awesome. Did he so, know? Like He didn't know. He just guessed? I Well, here's the thing. Once I said triplets on there and i said carolinas like i guess anybody who already knew him how many people do you know that have triplets right you made it too easy but yeah i'm not that smart so i can't get too complicated maybe we'll make (laughs) a little trickier next time so why don't you introduce the guest real quick so yes this is the one the only dr hunter dawson he's a prosthodontist out of north carolina uh i've met him through instagram like i've met most of the people i work with now and, you know, we really have, uh, I mean, now we chat pretty much every day. I mean, the guy's a really outstanding guy. I've watched his hustle. He's done a lot of full arch work and he's also done a lot of just, you know, repair work and stuff. And I've talked to some surgeons who spoke highly of him. And, um, then, you know, I knew some people through, uh, other friends through Instagram that knew him and yeah, man, it's really, uh, exciting to kind of dive into a talk because, uh, we really haven't had much of time to really just kind of sit and talk about what you're doing, Hunter. And 
So I think everybody's going to love his, uh, his mindset and his outlook on dentistry, as well as how he hustles and manages his time in life with having triplets and doing uh, you know, prosthetic work. And if I'm not mistaken, it's triplets plus one. So uh, he's got a full house, and he's at a very young age uh, grinding a lot. But uh, welcome, Hunter. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to have you, man. So let's start. Out. Hold on. You got triplets, and then you elected to have another child. Is that correct? That is correct. Stopped at it on two kids, right? And I'm 37. I just couldn't handle anymore. How old are you, Hunter? 31. How old are all your kids right now? So the three three-and-a-half-year-olds and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, my God. God bless you. That is amazing. You got a full deck. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I saw one picture of Halloween stuff already with some Oompa Loompas, I think. Um, is that what you guys are going with for Halloween tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, uh, they're the chocolate factory workers. Uh, we got the green spray, uh, hair paint and everything. That's awesome, man. I, I could be an Oompa Loompa just without doing much, actually, maybe just the hair, unfortunately. <laughs> For my body shape and then all the grief Blake gives me. But can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from originally and how you kind of got to this point, why you chose, why on earth you chose to be a prosthodontist and kind of where you are today in your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it kind of, uh, it's, it's interesting the path that Blake has made um, with Implant Compare because that's kind of what got me to where I'm at. But um, so I'm, I'm from uh, Whitsett, North Carolina, which is a small farm town. Um, about, um, uh, 45 minutes West or East of where I'm at now in Winston-Salem, um, went off to NC state university for undergrad and then, uh, off to dental school in Louisville, um, and ended up spending seven years there cause I did my pros residency there as well. I decided I wanted to do pros because I, one day in dental school, I sat down and I looked at all of the dental CE that, you know, mentors and um, people that had helped me get where I was in dental school told me that I needed to do as soon as I graduated. And so I made a big spreadsheet one day and figured out how much it was going to cost and how many days I was going to be gone and how many weekends it would take me to do all the continuums for each category. And it was overwhelming. And so I decided to do a process residency instead, which from a time and money standpoint, just made a lot more sense. So as a prosthodontist, you got to be a little, little bit anal on stuff, right? That's most prosthodontists I know. And you start out fixing a lot of problems. Is that something that's kind of inherent with you where, you know, you see something there, you have to take on something and, and try to repair or fix what somebody else has done? Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, that, that's kind of the world we live in. You know, I'd love to think as a prosthodontist, I could start treating patients first. Um, but a lot of times I'm I'm taking patients that have been, you know, treated through the lens where they haven't been looked at comprehensively and kind of redoing work or um, patients that have just kind of fell through the hoops in dentistry throughout their life and, and really are in a bad spot. Now, let me ask you this. How much debt did you accumulate? Uh, or if any, I don't know if you paid out of pocket, but how much, how much did it cost you to get to the schooling you did? Uh, I mean, so, you know, uh, dental school out of state's over $60,000 a year. And then uh, that interest starts accumulating every year. And then residency for prosthodontics ranges from twenty to $30,000 a year. So, um, you know, you can pretty quickly get upwards of $250,000, $300,000, um, you know, without blinking an eye. That's amazing. So, I mean, you, you do all that and then you're 31 you've built that up, right? And then you've now you've got a family of, of four. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, th- uh, four children. And then you're trying to also start your career and launch that at the same time and build like a referral network and all that. How is that? I mean, how do you manage the mental balance and the overall stress of just having all that on your shoulders? Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough at the beginning and, um, overwhelming, you know, because as a, as a prosthodontist, I, I practice referral based pros. Um, I don't do any surgery. Um, and so, you know, my whole first year was how many people could I have lunch with and go to dinner with and how many study clubs could I get to? Um, so, you know, it, there was a lot of time management and, um, a lot of time waste to be quite honest with you that first year. Um, just trying to accomplish all of those things. And now, was, did you meet your wife in dental school, or where did you meet your wife? Uh, sixth grade. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, Sweethearts, huh? Uh, I, I don't think she'd call me her middle school sweetheart, but uh, we've known each other for a really long time. Um, our, our grandparents went to the same high school, so um, our families go way back. So did she have a pretty good understanding of what she was getting into as it progressed? Uh, yeah, uh, she was really committed the whole time and, and she knew I've, I've wanted to be a dentist since I was 12. So, you know, she knew that was always my vision. Um, I don't think she knew it was going to be three more years after dental school at the beginning. I kind of snuck that in, but, um, you know, she was, she was always a huge supporter of it. So why at 12 did you realize you wanted to be a dentist? What, what drove you to that? Uh, a friend of mine threw his head back into my front tooth when we were wrestling in the backyard and I had to go get a, uh, root canal and the endodontist, um, here in Greensboro, uh, North Carolina, he let me watch with a hand mirror and I was fascinated and I was hooked. <laughs> you were watching at 12 mm-hmm. having a procedure done on yourself. Um, yeah, that sounds like something my kids would like. They like Dr. Pimple Popper and all that stuff. So maybe that's their pathway. There you go. So I have a question. You obviously you've been speaking a ton. I want to get further into that too, but we had a conversation at lunch the other day and you talked kind of like we're talking about you getting into your first year of practice and and trying to get referrals. Can you take me through, you talked about a rep that you partnered with and got out there and that was kind of the, the start of your lecturing career was locally, correct? Yeah. Um, I had a tremendous partner. Um, her name is Gina Marlowe. Um, and you know, she, she really took me under her wing. Um, and welcome me to the community. Um, but not only that, um, you know, supported me in building a referral network and that's all we did. I just tried to go out and I helped educate staff and, you know, assistants and hygienists and front office on what dental implants were so that every office in my community could talk at a higher level about it. Um, and that worked really well. So how many, how many lectures do you think you gave or study clubs or, or whatever in that first couple of years working with her, and just doing it in referrals offices. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I'd say in the first year, um, we were probably averaging somewhere in the ballpark of one to two a week in, in the greater Greensboro area. So, you know, it'd be pretty easy to say we knocked out 40 to 50 offices, um, doing lunchtime lectures. Just, I blocked an extra 30 minutes for lunch. We rushed over to an office. We brought in lunch, and I lectured for 45 to 50 minutes and then we left a good old lunch and learn. And, yeah. and, and you know what? I, I don't think a lot of the people on the rep side realize how much specialists are doing that. That's something you don't really learn in dental school is how to be a salesman. <laughs> and it's really what you're doing as a specialist is 
you're going out and selling yourself and, and doing it really from the, the ground up with the lunch and learners. That's the hardest thing to do. It's a lot of work. Yeah. And I had a, you know, I had a, another mentor, um, it's a prosthodontist in Louisville, Kentucky that really, he told me the biggest thing you can do for your community is, is make sure that people know if they have a question, they can call you and be approachable. And so I use those lunch and learns as the opportunity to kind of introduce myself and, and make sure people knew that, you know, I was here and if they had questions, they could call. Yeah. Blake and I talk about that all the time as far as on the rep side, adding value and being a resource, not just for the specific thing that you do, but being a resource for anything. So I think being, making your local community comfortable in the fact that they can call you for whatever is a big deal. You're just trying to establish a relationship and there's not really a better way to do that. Yeah, you're bringing value to the community, and and as long as you're bringing that value, you expect a return eventually, you know, from them because you know you'll be that resource. I think it's it's impressive that you've been able to manage all of that, build up quite a reputation, as well as build up yourself as a as a presenter and speaker. You know, I think nationally that you've done a lot with it. You know, that's not easy, man. And and by 31 years old, you've really accomplished a lot in in life in in your career. And, and I think you're, you've got already a bunch of achievements that are a lot of achievements that most people aspire to have by their 45 or 50, you know, so that kudos on you. Yeah. Walk us through that real quick, actually, Hunter, because so you're talking about doing study clubs locally or, or just doing lunch and learns locally, but that's a big difference between that next huge step of, you know, being a, a key opinion leader for Strawman lecturing nationally all over the country. I mean, the truth is I've heard your name everywhere in the last few months and, you know, I'm not a strawman guy, right? I would buy horizon. So we, a lot of times we only hear our own guys, but other people have been hearing about you lately. Like where did this all start on the, on the, on the larger side? Yeah, I, I think it, you know, I think it started, um, it started really in residency. Um, I had tremendous mentors that were, you know, key opinion leaders and, uh, have been for years and years and years and, um, they just pushed me into that development, um, very early first year of residency. You know, I was, I was speaking, you know, in a very short program, um, in front of a lot of people. So, um, I was very lucky in just the mentorship that I had early in my, in my specialty career. So can you get a little more specific on that? When were you invited to speak? At, you, we talked about which was the really big meeting you got to at a very yeah. young age up on stage at. The, the ITI North American Symposium, I uh, believe it was 2015. Um, they basically had a presenter competition, which you see all the big programs doing now, right? They try to get the young speakers to do it. But this was kind of one of the first one places you saw it. And um, they let young clinicians come up and present 15 to 20 minutes of casework in front of the entire Congress. Um, and you know, that's intimidating when you walk up and you've got three screens that are, you know, 60, 70 foot wide. And, um, it's the first time you've been on stage. Um, so that was, that was a great opportunity. And 15 to 20 minutes to actually take, you know, give a lecture, take you through a case is very short amount of time. So you have to be pretty concise. I mean, did that just throw you off a little bit? Uh, when it's your first time, uh, it, it feels very fast and very long at the same time. <laughs> I understand. Do you, have, do you have like a playlist before you go on stage or anything? What, what, what did you do to get in the mindset? You know, uh, probably just grabbed two or three espressos on the way in and, uh, and went in there and did it. Um, that's something m me and my co-resident were known for. Um, you know, he's from France and he got me hooked on espresso. So, 
that's probably what we did to get ready. Blake, what's your, do you listen to some guar or something to get you pumped before you get up there? You know, usually, uh, and I was able to even do this in the Middle East because uh, my first lecture was in front of like 500 people or so in the Middle East. And I was terrified. But I usually get a beer right beforehand if it's in the evening time, the afternoon time. Uh, but if it's in the morning time, uh, usually I'll just listen to a little, uh, I think it's a Machine Gun Kelly. Gets me hyped up. Machine Gun Kelly. I'll have to add that to my playlist. Yeah, and then get the Eminem uh, version where he's just bashing him and ending his career too. Yeah. Hey, MGK is the millennials Eminem, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a side note, we're talking about rap real quick. So, uh, Hunter, little trick for you. Uh, my boys love robots. So I played them the robot song for the first time in my car, and now it's their f- favorite song. And by the way, that's Beastie Boys Intergalactic. So their favorite group now is the freaking Beastie Boys. So our house has been rocking lately. Give it a go. Really? Respect. I have to try it. Oh, any way I can deceive my children into liking the music I enjoy is uh, I'm all in for that. So, <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the lecture you gave, uh, by the way, helping my competitor in my backyard take a business away from me. How'd that go? Well, you didn't invite me down, so um, <laughs> uh, it, it went well. Um, so we were we were down uh, in Macon, um, had a great group, about 60, 60 dentists. Um, and, you know, the focus of that lecture was really just on, um, you know, where you can be with digital workflows in the general dental office. Um, it's, it's always interesting to me when I lecture across the country how few people have adopted um, – digital dentistry, even some of the basic things that you could implement in your practice. Well, was it you that was telling me, Hunter, the other day that there's only 9% of the market has intraoral scanner? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's from a study, but yeah, 9%. And what do you think right now is the big um, hurdle that's uh, stopping the adoption? Because, I mean, obviously, we're still in this early adopters phase. When do you think the market adoption will happen? when the lab industry forces it to, um, it's just, it's becoming inefficient for the lab industry to continue to, you know, work with conventional impressions from a labor standpoint. And so eventually they're going to be the ones that say, okay, don't ship us your impressions anymore. Do you think that they're worried for that happening because of, you know, everybody moving into in-office mills and stuff? Do you think that they have a little bit of resistance towards that digital works workflow? Uh, the, the guys that I talk to really don't. I mean, it, it it simplifies the process. It speeds up the process. The the results are outstanding. I don't I don't see it as a barrier for the lab. Um, and the labs that have implemented it and supported their you know their clients really well aren't really worried about the in, in office milling. Yeah, aren't most of the labs they they actually support digital because what they're doing? I would say at least ninety five percent of the labs now, especially on the implant side. Say you take a manual impression, you're sending that to the lab, they're pouring up a model, and then they're putting that in like a scan box and they're scanning that model. So you're actually adding one more step. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the first questions I ask in my lecture is how many people in here are doing digital dentistry? And, you know, you have the 80% that don't raise their hand because they don't have an intro scanner in their office. And then I ask them if they know if their lab is scanning and, and you know, they, they don't realize it or they do and they didn't think about that they're getting digitized at some point. It's just not in their office. Yeah. Cause the most of the time we're seeing custom abutments now. And even if that, if it's a smaller lab and they may not be milling those abutments themselves, they're 
outsourcing to somebody who needs a digital file, right? So it could be like a Vulcan or Atlantis or whoever, whatever milling center. So yeah, it, it all is digital, uh, whether they know it or not. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the big topics that, um, you know, a lot of people get me to speak on just because, you know, that's the entry level, that's the barrier to where things are going. What do you think about those devices like PIC and Mectron with the, uh, like, the dice-looking uh, pieces that go inside the implant bodies. Do you think that those are making those the devices like that will help kind of, I guess, grow the market through you know innovations, things like that, having unique workflows, or do you think that those are just niche and they'll they'll phase out? Expensive toys, is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great question, um, and you know the market's going to tell, right? It, it's either going to sell or it's not. I think the barrier that you, you're going to have to most technology is is what you've you've seen in medical is over time these solo offices and and that's still the majority of the market you know everyone's worried about DSOs but those smaller offices can't buy you know fifty thousand dollar scanner and then twenty thousand dollar this and another twenty thousand dollar that at some point there's a ceiling to the technology they can implement because of cost. And that that's going to be the barrier. So the market will tell. The market will tell if it's a good idea or not or if it's going to work or not. Yeah, the 3D cameras right now, to me personally, because I got to play with them. Um, Adrian from PIC came in from Spain, and we actually did some impressions of Brian Linky here. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Vividex um, and then Andrew Curry. So we got to see. It, it was awesome. Uh, it took a great impression. It was super fast. It was super accurate because um, we got the finals back later, and it worked out really well. But the problem is that's specific for full arch. So you got to be doing just a crazy amount of full arch to justify that cost. Whereas an internal scanner, you can it's multifaceted. You can use that in so many different ways. Exactly, exactly. And you know the versatility becomes key when you're talking about buying a big piece of equipment. No, and I think that's been a lot of the limitations there is is that you know with the lack of communication being that they're closed software, you know, in a lot of these everybody's nervous that, okay, you're really not just buying into the immediate technology. You're, you're buying into the scalability of that company and will they, you know, support it three years down the road, four years down the road, or am I buying a whole new scanner in two years, three years? Exactly. Well, I think the entire market's been full, uh, forced to be, you know, open source. You even see, you know, Serona always had that rap of want to keep everything in house, especially when Patterson had it. And it was Sarek, 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 Galileo. And now they're not, they don't really have that option anymore. So I think with, uh, with their newest scanner, um, I forget the name of it, but it's completely open source, right? And so you can use it with any system now. And I think that's, they've been forced to do that just because of Trios and all these other scanning scanners have really caught up as well on other milling systems too. So most of them thing. are coming around. I think Nobel's even going to open up theirs. And I, I, I don't know about Strauman. Uh, Hunter would have a better idea, but I think they're getting forced to, like you said, they've got to, because the, the, there's so many different workflows and different systems that you can work with now on the back end, not just the scanner side that are design software and everything else that they have got to be uh, a little bit more flexible. Would you see open open source in, in regular tech, but why dental in medical, it's always closed is really just because the big companies are scared to let it out. They don't want anybody to knock them off. Well, and you see what, you see what the market did to drive that. I mean, uh, your point with example, Sarek, you know, a lot of people wanted to buy that scanner, but they didn't want to take the time to do an office dentistry. 100% because you're then committing to being a lab as well and, and digitally planning it all. And so that's a, you got a thirty, forty thousand dollars scanner, and then you have a hundred thousand dollars mill. But I don't want the mill. Well, you need both. So, 
where do you what do you right now a hunter do you see as the the top of the end scanner what's your favorite one right now has the most functionality or whatever what what's your favorite toy right now uh so i, I have we have trios in our office and then um several of the other offices i work with have a trios in every office so to me you have to look at the type of dentistry that you're doing that's one thing i always talk about um and if you're scanning a full arch whether it's for crown and bridge or you're scanning scan bodies you're scanning maybe even for a denture the versatility of the trios is really what is keeping that the go-to for me right now are you actually scanning any arches like uh, let's say all on x right um, we've got the multi-unit abutments place. Are you scanning that yet? I know some people are really trying it. Uh, nobody's really completely mastered it yet. Yeah. I, you know, I've scanned, I've scanned a few. The, the question is, do I still go back and do an analog verification? Yeah, absolutely. Just because, you know, there's, there's still enough distortion on the terminal ends of that scan that it makes me uneasy. Now, do they fit? Yeah. I've had verification fit from, an intral scan. So, um, you know, the technology is pretty incredible if you look at it that way. But, um, I still, like you said earlier, uh, a little bit OCD, a little bit anal. I like to know for sure that it's accurate. So is that one of those 60% of the time it works every time, or is it like 95% of the time it's working every time? It, it's, it's working a lot. I'm not, I'm not writing it down and how many times I have an issue with it, but, um, I'm, I'm having pretty good success with it. And, I still do like to go back and make an analog verification though. I just, I can't get around that in my head. You, you work a lot right now with Strawman and the BLX, right? Like that's come to market in the U S recently. Again, I love the full arch side. It's a cool looking implant. It's all black. Uh, I believe it's the rock solid as well. So it's got to be very strong and it looks mean as hell. Can you take us through that really? Like some of the, I just, honestly, I'm probably helping competition a little bit here right now, but I don't really care because I'm interested to learn more about that particular implant and what makes it so, you know, they're marketing the hell out of it, but what are the real, what's the real uh, information behind it in your experience so far? Yeah. So, um, we actually have a, a double arch tomorrow with, um, one of my oral surgeons here in, in Winston-Salem. Um, and we're using that implant and, um, you know, we've got a huge stock of the BLT, which is just their regular bone level implant. But we went after that implant for tomorrow cause you know, we want guaranteed stability in an immediate situation. So from a surgical aspect, you know, that's what all the surgeons are going to tell you. Now I'm, I'm not doing surgery. So I'm, I'll tell you what I like about it. I like that. It doesn't matter if you grab this diameter or that diameter for the body, it's the same platform for me as a restorative doctor. So I don't have to go grab different parts and pieces if my surgeon needs to place a different size implant or, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people are doing their own surgery. You don't have to stock different parts and pieces cause you keep different implants. So definitely right. love your inventory stock as well. Um, and that's big for me. So those are, you know, restoratively, I think that's the big thing is that it's the same platform across multiple diameters. Um, and it's a great immediate situation implant. They did a nice job with the design, and, and you know I was looking at it at Amos in Boston. The uh, the walkthrough with Ben Rosian, and man, the way he's told the story of it and stuff was pretty cool. But it's got a nice bite, uh, like you said, with the the single platform there uh, makes the restorative side really easy. You know, I wonder if how it's going to play with them with Neodent being in their same portfolio and being such a big full arch implant. 
Like, I wonder how that's how they're playing together with Neo Denton Strawman, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great question. And, um, that, you know, that's something Strawman will have to navigate. Strawman group will have to navigate, you know, being, um, involved with both of those, uh, in terms of sales, but I think you're going to have people that want both. So I'm sure the Neo Denton Strawman reps are really close, really tight. Um, and don't mind sharing accounts like that either. Do they Blake? Yeah. They all play well together. <laughs> you know, that's, that's that's really tough to manage, I bet. You know, a company that's, when they buy a competitor like that, I'm sure like with Nobel, when they bought Implant Direct, you know, and this still got infighting, I'm sure. From what Have I they figured out what they're going to do with that? Like, is it going to Nobel reps going to carry around Implant Direct? or I don't, I don't know. I did see something online that like there's something about ending the life for Implant Direct in, in Europe. That was a, it was a strawman ad. I saw it on LinkedIn. They were like, it was kind of like a dog. It was like, you know, hey, all you implant can direct customers, come check us out. <laughs> so it's kind of a funny ad. Get in the backyard and put a shotgun to its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it, so I don't know, you know, everything's shrinking. We're seeing so much consolidation in, in the dental space now. You know, what's that like being a pros and restoring all these different platforms? What are you seeing? Uh, is it is it tough? Are you seeing a, a big variety or is it only like every now and then you see a random you know, Korean or Israeli implant. You know, that that's, that's one of the great things about where I practice. Um, and, and the people that I get to work with, you know, even in my area, most of the surgeons place particular implants, or if they're working with me, they ask me what I would like to restore. And so it's rare that I have to work off, you know, off on another system. Um, it really has to be a patient that came in from outside of my area. And speaking to that, you know, with all the different platforms and the consolidation, which I think should be a bigger concern for people, is it's really important to, you know, stick with one of the big names, especially if you're just getting into implant surgery um, and bringing in inventory into your office. I wouldn't encourage you to go get one of the lesser well-known names because if they get consolidated and, you know, taken out back, like you're suggesting uh, Implant Direct may get, is what happens to those parts and pieces? And as a prosthodontist, I've encountered that where I'm calling companies, calling colleagues going, Hey, do you have this piece or part laying around in your office somewhere that I can get shipped to me because I need it, um, from a, from an implant that's no longer in, in production. No, that's a really good point. I mean, I've seen it. I can't tell you how many companies I've seen come and go or consolidate and, they're buying them not usually for the technology, even though there may be some good technology there. They're buying them because of market share, and they're going to eventually try to push them away in most instances. Now, I will say, like the Strawman Group, that was different. That was a Brazilian play, and then it became a, a big thing in the U.S. But you know, quite often, you're right. They're going to just kill it off eventually. And the same thing goes with some of the new tech. I think that's why some people are scared and skeptical. Uh, and probably we're skeptical with three shape being such a new company and disruptive, you know, jumping in because you're, you're like, well, how long is this company going to be around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they did a smart job by dominating the software portion of it. And that's, I think we all forget that, that the software is actually what makes everything go from, from the scanner portion, but on the implant side, like you're right, man. Um, I won't name some of them, but there's companies that we all know them that are buying these smaller brands occasionally because they have a great product and they want to exploit that market share or whatever, expand it. But more of the time now, they're buying one of the smaller ones in a, in a country that they dominate in or in a, you know, an area that they're doing well. And then they flip them and, and, you know, literally bury that line. 
because uh, it's less uh, profitable for them to sell that line than the ones they create on their own. So it's kind of an interesting game, and people should like watch that because that alone, just watching, it's pretty damn interesting. Do you see a lot of dent supply implants out there? You know, I don't hear their name as much. I don't see them very often anymore. It's not that they're not a huge company. It's just um, in my market, for whatever reason, I personally don't run across them as much. I know there's still guys using them, but you know, in Atlanta and some of the other markets, I just I think it's more hit or miss. I know in South Carolina. We just had a dead supply rep who came over to us. She's amazing. Um, so they crushed over there because she crushed, you know. So I think it's kind of rep dependent. What are you seeing up there, Hunter? Uh, there's, you know, there's still a pretty good um, hold on, you know, Astra, a dense, you know, dense spot Astra um, in the area. Um, there was a pretty big faculty member at UNC that really uh, was on board with that, and so you know, kind of the the triangle. RTP area, you know, which is Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Durham. Um, you still see quite a bit of it in that area just due to that residual from that faculty member. But you made a point there, Shane, that it's completely rep dependent in some areas. Unless someone just has a strong preference for a system, service goes such a, a long way when it comes to, you know, implants and um, what the rep can do for the office. Yeah. Well, to that point, real quick question. Who do you think, give me like your top guy that, off the top of your head for Strawman. Who, who's the rep that you've met that has just impressed you the most? I'm actually really curious because you're going to go all the country and meet a, a, a ton of different reps. Well, I'm going to make that really easy so I don't make a, any of the reps upset that I work with on a daily basis and say that um, Gina Marlowe was the best rep uh, uh, that I worked with. But that's because she did so much for me personally. Um, but she was great great service. Um, and, and she was always service first. Um, but she's no longer with Strawman. So, um, that makes it an easier answer because I'm not ranking against other people. Oh, that, you copped out there, bro. Come on. <laughs> that was a very political answer. He's got a bright future in the politics side. I know. I thought I was going to trap him there for a second. It did not work at all. Now, are you doing anything, speaking of politics, are you doing anything to be, you know, on that side of the industry or are you looking to, you know, get on any boards or panels or do you do any of that already, like a journal review board? Uh, not so much a journal review board, but I, I am a huge supporter of organized industry. Um, so I do, you know, participate in County General Society. Um, I, I'm the uh, North Carolina section president for the ACP, uh, which is the Prosthodontic College. And, um, and because of that, I sit on the, you know, the board with the North Carolina Dental Society. Um, so I, I just, I'm a big supporter of, of dentistry as a whole and organized dentistry. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there, if you look at it that way, there is a little bit of a political side to it, but I, I look at it more of as a support. Well, no, I mean, that, that takes a lot of time too. So you're, you're also adding that to your schedule. I mean, those are required meetings and stuff like that. So it's impressive, man. They, again, uh, 31 years old, you're really crushing it. <laughs> you're definitely all in. There's no question about that. Let's bring it back to the burnout here for a second. Because off, off air, you told us earlier in the year you were kind of getting burnout. Can you give us like this year alone, how many lectures have you done, not locally, but like flown out to do a day here, a day there, study club here, weekend course there? How many do you think you're at this year? Uh, I'd, uh, without counting, probably around 20. So 20 weeks. Plus practicing full time, plus being a father of four. Right. Yeah. Um, you ever snap? Uh, I, w I don't say I snap, but uh, you know, 
definitely there are some things that keep you grounded. Um, you know, you've got to make time for mental space and you've got to make time, uh, for physical conditioning just because that helps so much with mental space. And so to keep going when you're burning the midnight candle, it sounds like espresso is the key. Espresso is the key. However, I have got a recent addiction to those bang energy drinks. So, uh, <laughs> th- those seem to, to work well. <laughs> what is like, bang uh, energy drink? I want to hear about this actually. Are those like five hours? No, this is like this huge obnoxious can that sits right beside the monster energy drinks in the gas station. And I'm pretty sure nothing in it's good for you. So don't take it to your holistic dental meetings, but, um, it, it, it's just straight caffeine. I think cocaine in a can. Got it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, what do you, with, with everything going on and being so busy, you know, is it, um, is your wife very patient? Does she have a busy schedule as well? How are you guys able to manage everything and still make time for each other to go hang out and have fun and, 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 and still have, you know, be a 31 year old married couple? Yeah. So, uh, she, first of all, she's a saint. Um, and she has more patience than anybody I know. Um, but we made, we made a commitment when the triplets were born that, um, we, we have date night. And even when it was tough in the early days, when the triplets, you know, woke up six hours a night, uh, out of seven, you know, um, we, we always made a commitment to go to date night. So, you know, one night a week, one night a week, we make time to go grab pizza, go out for a movie, go out just to walk around, go to the park, whatever, just to have a couple hours of peaceful couple time. That's smart. That's really awesome, man. That to keep yourself in that lane and make sure that you stay at that is key. I mean, that's awesome because it, you know, it is less about us and more about the person supporting us, you know, behind the scenes. That's really what keeps the drive going. It's hard to, to manage, you know, when you're a bachelor, it's one thing, but when you have someone there depending on you and, and emotionally wanting to connect with you while you're always busy, it's tough and you got to make that time. And that's so important. Well, I think Hunter, you're kind of like us in the sense of, you know, certainly different personalities where Blake and I are absolutely nuts sometimes where we just drive in so hard and we're so amped about everything, but you're truly passionate about this. You work really hard at what you do or you wouldn't be where you're at at such a young age. But sometimes they're the one where I, I mean, I don't know if you guys are ever like this. I almost get annoyed at my wife when she's pulling me away from something until after the fact I realize I needed that so bad. And for them to have the patience to be able to do that and not hate us uh, is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Sometimes it's awesome to have a partner like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. To be able to pull away. I mean, uh, I know a lot of the things you guys are involved with, so I I can imagine the schedules you guys keep, but you know, it's, uh, it's important because the, that'll be the first thing you shelf as a, as someone that's very busy, someone that's all in, right. Um, it's, it's easy to shelf your relationship if you're not careful. And that's something you have to keep as a priority. Yeah. We always got to think, well, why are we doing what we're doing? Right. We do like it, but it's like, the family. That's what's it all about. And I, and I have to pull myself back out of that sometimes where it's like, you're being selfish by being so all in on this one thing when you really should, it's all about them. So um, I think it's really good perspective. Now I want to match up. Listen, I've got it fairly easy. I get to choose a lot of the meetings I travel to for the most part. So I, I control my schedule a little probably better than you guys do in the sense of like, listen, nobody's asking me to come to Hawaii or California to speak. I don't have that, that luxury as well. But how many flights have you had this year, Hunter versus Blake? How many flights have you had this year? I'm actually, I want to see, uh, I want to do a little measuring contest here. 
Oh gosh. I, well, I don't count leg, legs like Blake and I don't have status. So that should give you some, uh, <laughs> some reference. <laughs> uh, I'm close to 70. I think it just took flight number 68 or 69, something like that. But you count each flight. You don't know, count return flight, right? Like trips or you catch actually- return flights. Yeah. So just initial trip. So I, I'm out of Atlanta, so everything's direct. So, I mean, even to Zurich, it was and and to Dusseldorf, it was direct. So, yeah, I'm uh, that's each leg. And, and Hunter, just so you know, I don't know if you've seen the, the cover of the podcast where, you know, I got my DB uh, white sunglasses pointed at Blake and he's got his hoodie with sunglasses on looking like the Unabomber. That was actually him making fun of himself for me, making fun of him about the pictures he takes on all the flights looking ragged after a meeting. Um, so it's kind of an inside outside joke now. I look like a really ca- uh, crappy gambler, you know, I mean, like I've got the whole like, you know, bluffing face going on, but really it's just, yeah, I'm exhausted. I don't even know what time zone I live on. It's, it's tough. Yeah. That's, that's pretty incredible. All right. So I want to ask, we got to wrap up here in just a minute, but I want to fire a few questions at you if that's all right, Hunter. Go for it. I'm not going to ask you what your favorite system is because politically I feel like you've got to move that answer one way or the other, but I'm going to ask you this as a process, what implant system in your career have you hated restoring? That just sucks. And close. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> um, and why? It makes zero sense. It's, <laughs> it's useless. <laughs> that, is, that is the that's a great piece of content right there let's clip that up a thousand different ways <laughs> we, we just call it display up and, and charge them not to post it uh <laughs> no you know i think you got to keep it real i mean you know there's not a lot of people out there being honest about what they don't like or about the things that they 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 see their issues usually it's only on an emotional post and it's usually with a brand that they've been working with for a while and they just had a bad day with it so you like you don't see anybody just keeping it real, uh, good, bad, or otherwise showing the worst and all. And that's you know that's not a hearsay or that's not a someone told me. Um, you know, one of the practices I work very closely with the surgeon only placed Anklos for years, and so I'm seeing all of these issues, you know, full circle. And I mean, you just don't see the issues that you see with that system with other systems. Speaking of issues, let me ask you this: Do you foresee a lot of complications coming back from the full arts? wave that hit early, like the early adopters of full arch who went out there with maybe minimal education or training and stuff and started doing pumping volume out there. Do you think there'll be complications to see down the road? I think there will be people that make a career out of those complications. I think there's people already starting to do that with, I mean, you see Petrogar doing like revision cases already, like marketing that specifically. And you see the Zygo courses coming up and I think it's a big that's a huge reason for there's it. There's not a lot of people doing Zygos, and that's what's scary about it all is that, you know, there's such a small market. Or it'd be great. Maybe it's not scary for the guys like Petch and Garrel and stuff because there's just not a lot of Zygo guys out there, guys or girls. Well, hopefully nobody's just diving in. We're going to have eyeballs popping out left and right, and that's going to be horrible for the industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great topic to talk about is Zygomatic. I mean, uh, I still struggle with the idea of a zygomatic um, without a very unique situation because one of the mo- you, you ask you know pick a hundred surgeons and ask them what the most predictable graft they do in their practice is if they do this graft and it's Sinus- a lateral, lateral one of sinus lift every single time you know bone bones going to turn over in the sinus. Um, my mother in law had a f- more than fully pneumatized sinus and bilateral uh, sinus grafting. 
she had had a dentist since she was 16. And man, that took tons. I mean, we got tons of bone there. Now, I, I agree with you. And I think there may be some other sinus issues. I think there'll be complications beca- because of that. Um, now, I think there are a few guys out there doing them who are just, you know, like locally, like a Gordon Brady, you know, Paul Petrangaro, he's, he's great too, I think. But that's a, that's a talent. I've seen Brady freehand, you know, uh, the longest Zygo I've ever seen and put the platform right exactly where you need it. But that's, that's hard to teach other people, right? Yeah, that's another level. Yeah, I got to see Stuart Graves do one. It was at a course, uh, I think it was Southern Implants. And he would trust his assistant to tell him when he started feeling pressure basically building up as the, he was placing that implant. He put have him put their hand right there uh, by the orbital and just simply wait for that to hit. And once that hit the zygo, it was, or once it hit in place and you started feeling that pressure kind of push through a little bit, they would tell him to stop and then you're done. Like, can you imagine the trust in your assistant to just do that every time? Your assistants turn into the side check and in Instagram while they're doing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> also capture this on live, please. <laughs> All right, I got another question for you, Hunter. Um, what new like innovation or product has come out um, on the full art side that's helped you recently, or have any, or do you see any coming down the line? Yeah, I mean, the the, the biggest one that I see right now is a, a, a product that I think is going to just change the way the industry does um, the process with smart denture conversion. It's a slick system, and if it works and holds up the way that it presents. Um, I, I think you're going to see mass implementation. Um, I mean, I think even people like Clear Choice will pick it up and, and implement it. Yeah, Blake, it was pretty cool. I saw it at Pay Race Course. Uh, it's Dr. Brandon Coford, correct? That's his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Cary, North Carolina. Yeah, it was really cool. I actually have a, I think I got to check my scheduled call with him tomorrow or the next day. It was really, you know, I get to see a lot of these cases. And Blake, you know, you've been in them too, where you're in that conversion and you're just like, all right, we, we got to. Well, let's wrap this up, guys. I got to get home for dinner, right? And and then if you have these, you know, you're looting and coring, you have these big holes in your uh, denture that you're converting, now you weaken the prosthesis, right? And so it was really cool. It was like literally the side, it was an interesting pickup. I won't give it all away because it's, you know, I only just got to see it once, but easy pickup, um, really smart idea. Um, and you, you don't really core out almost anything. Am I correct there, Hunter? Yeah, the, you core out nothing. Um, you literally just drill the screw access hole, um, which is that to me. That's the game changer. Like you said, weakening weakening the conversion prosthetic is a huge problem. So, um, the less you have to take away, the better. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been in some nightmare conversions. Oh my like, god! Like eight, ten hour, you know, twelve hour full arches, you know, dual arches. You're like, oh god, this is just too long. Wow it's not profitable at that point. Like, why are you even doing it? If you get it, you know what I mean? It, but it's also because of the lab guy didn't know what they were doing and you got, you know, a specialist doing the surgery and then you got this lab guy supposed to come in and work in a surgery environment. Everyone blames the lab guy. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> if you're the lab, you blame the surgeon. If you're the surgeon, you blame the restorative guy. You're restorative, blame the implant company. The problem is, it's two different types, right? And so, with bad communication, it's a nightmare because they don't complement each other's style. So, like, it's 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 both sides. Like, it, it's it's yeah. If it's not good and the cohesion's not there, oh man, it can go south fast. That's a huge topic in full arch is is communication. You've you've got to be on the same page. Absolutely, hundred yeah, percent. I think we talked about it in an episode too, that being the biggest part of it, because it's just, uh, 
It really is, man. One little thing, if you don't know what implants is or what platform, what type of implant, just that information alone, you might not be able to do the case. And if you're, it's just a, it's an interesting game out there. I've been spoiled here in Atlanta because we have some killer labs, digital uh, and, you know, old school style conversion labs. Like we got it all here. However, I've been in any cases with not all labs are created. There are specialty labs. Understand that not all labs do it the same way. So find a good conversion lab because if you get with a bad one, it's going to suck because they don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, if you're building a house, all the teams are going to communicate. You know, uh, you're going to talk, have the plumbers talk to the GC. Everybody's going to be communicating on the build out, or if not, if the communication is bad, you get a lot of problems. Right? It's the same thing with building a mouth. They, everybody's got to work together, and they've got to be a good team. Because then if not, it's just a bunch of finger pointing at whose fault it is. Yeah, but somebody's got to be the contractor in that situation. So it's usually got to be one of the doctors. A lot of times I take that role on here, but that's not normal. Um, We got labs who do that too. So it's kind of this weird scenario where, all right, who's taking charge of the case? Would you agree with that, Hunter? Like I'd imagine that you probably do that in a lot of instances since you're a boss of us. Yeah, and and that's how I explain it to patients, to be quite honest, is, you know, I'm truly just here to be the general contractor um, or, or even further just the architect. And from there, you know, the team takes over. So, um, but there has to be someone in, in the relationship surrounding, surrounding the patient with the patient's best interest at heart. That's going to be that person. And where we see these fail is when, um, you don't have anyone that truly can be that person. Well, I got one more question. Hunter, are you a football fan at all? I am a football fan. Who's your favorite team? NC state. I'm assuming you're talking about college. We talk about it. Really? We'll start with college. That's how you know you're in the South because they automatically assume college, right? I mean, same way. Like, it's college is a bigger priority than NFL, I would say. Yeah. And you probably thought I was, since I'm a UGA fan, that I was going to give you grief. But I selfishly asked that question because a few weeks ago, Georgia lost to um, South Carolina. And I got a text from my really good friend, Blake. Not, oh, man, it's all good. You know, they still got a chance. It was, how about them cocks? And uh, <laughs> something interesting happened this week. And Blake had been out late the other night while I was at the course. And his favorite team, Oklahoma, had was last second. They were about to lose. And I sent him a text saying, how about them cats? Because they were playing Kansas State. And what happened, Blake? What happened? Is that I, how they lost? I think I sent you a middle finger emoji or something like that. I don't even know what yeah. It paybacks a bitch, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not fun. Vegas, Vegas is a tough place to have a meeting. Oh gosh, especially when your your team loses. However, you did get the high score this week uh, in fantasy our fantasy football league. So, Hunter, Hunter I'm going to give you a guess. Guess who your one of your buddy oral surgeons is who got the lowest score. Oh, I've already, I've already seen <laughs> Jim How Jim How took the L this week. <laughs> <laughs> he took it hard. I loved the fact that I was high score and he was low score. <laughs> I know that was the best. So, Hunter, I don't know if you know what we're doing with the Fantasy Football League. We have 16 teams, and that's a lot. And what we're going to do is the eight. we have eight teams making the playoffs, so half the field makes playoffs. But the eight teams that don't are gone. You're not invited next year. And so it's not looking too good for our boy Jim right now. Now, he still has a chance to turn around, but um, you interested in taking his spot next year when he uh, – shits the bed and doesn't make the playoff yeah i'll just go ahead and tell him now that i'll take his spot next year since he won't be able to come back <laughs> terrible at it obviously and quick score update guys we're top of the fifth one out houston's up one zero over the nationals 
Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to ask one last question to Hunter before we kill this thing. Um, what is your best efficiency tool? What is it meditation or is family time or taking breaks or is there an app? What do you think helps you the most be all in? That's a great question. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the gym. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's it's. We talk about Jim Hell. I've never been to the gym. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's truly the only time you can shut everything off and you're just in your own head. And I, I get a lot done there. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think you find your clarity and you can let out your frustrations or whatever. But I agree. When you're in that headspace and you're also achieving something, you feel like you're accomplishing something at the same time. So there's this endorphin release that is is there. I, I love it, man. When I'm in my headspace, like whether it's running or you know, punching a wall, <laughs> whatever. I get better adrenaline release, man. That's it. Better a wall than my face. I'll tell you that, guys. <laughs> um, I got one last question, Hunter. You got any uh, meetings you're going to soon, or you're excited about, or you saw that you're trying to get in? Because I know I just invited you to uh, uh, Peter Bullen and Craig Spodek have their bulletproof dental meeting, and I'm trying to get you to go to that one because I think yeah, be that one's coming up. If I'm not mistaken, that one's in uh, Feb February. Is that right? February and that one was a great one. So th- there's a meeting every two years that I try to get to. Um, I'm, I missed it this past year, but um, it's uh, it's an international mythology meeting, which sounds really um, not interesting, but it's the one of the only meetings where I actually see a surgeons, oral surgeons, and periodontists, and prosthodontists, and general dentists all together in the same area. That's awesome. We talked about that not too long ago. Like, why aren't there more meetings like that? when so much of the industry works together on cases, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So where is that? And when is that? Uh, th- so this year it was at the Broadmoor and they change the location every year. Um, they haven't announced it cause it was this year and it's every two years. So it'll be again in two years, but it's, it's a longer meeting. It's a little bit more expensive meeting, but you know, the lineups are incredible. The speakers are amazing. They don't do any vendors. Um, so it's all supported by the attendees, um, which is unique also. Um, so it's, it's one that I'd keep an eye out for if, if you're looking for something a little different and a little bit more robust. See, that's, that's awesome that if you want that and you want things to be biased and you don't want the companies, if the companies aren't paying everything, tuition is going to be higher, but you know what people are saying is for real. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Well, Hunter, I really enjoyed this. Um, looking forward to it. I have no doubt we're going to be talking a lot more and nerding out in full arch and check this out, check that out. So, And I, I really, truly look forward to doing all that with you, man. Thanks so yeah. much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being on. All right, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode of the All In Podcast. See you later. Thanks for listening to the All In Podcast. See you next time.